when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there. You need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Welcome back to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. Today we are talking about why you must master nonverbal communication if you ever want to become a high-performing trial attorney. Now, it's kind of odd that it's taken us this many episodes to talk about nonverbal communication since nonverbal communication is my forte. That is what I focus on. Yes, I help my clients. Uh, This is a huge part of my job prepare in terms of the verbal part, the opening and the voir dire and what questions to ask and how to put that together. And I do witness prep and all those kinds of things. But why most of you end up flying out to Portland or have me come to you to work with you is because I'm one of the very few experts in the United States that focuses on nonverbal communication. And I probably am the only expert in the United States that does it in the way that I do it which is not about reading other people so much. We do do some of that, of course, but it's all about your own nonverbal communication and how you are showing up and how to become a more powerful communicator. So today's podcast is really a conceptual one in that I want to really lay the groundwork for why it's so important that you get control and become masterful in your use of nonverbal communication. You know, as I've gone through the nearly 20 years now of being in this work, when people find out what I do, a couple things come up. First of all, they think that I am a body language expert. So I want to be really clear. I am not a body language expert. I am a communications expert that specializes in nonverbal communication. I do all kinds of communication, verbal and nonverbal. And I particularly specialize in helping trial attorneys communicate with jurors. Now, here's the big difference. Most body language experts, uh, well, I was going to say help, but they claim to help you read the jury or they read the jury and then tell you who's good and who's bad. And I just don't think that fucking can be done. Okay? I'm just going to say it out now. There's no credible research, like zero, that says that you can watch someone's nonverbal communication and accurately gauge what they're thinking. It's just not possible. And it's also a distraction, quite frankly. Attempting to read the body language of jurors and ferret out their secret thoughts and feelings is a distraction. It's not something that you or I or anyone else should attempt to do. Now, there are things that you can watch in terms of body language, but not so that you can read thoughts and feelings, but so to see if what you're doing is working. Whoever you're communicating with, whether that's jurors or anyone else, should serve as a mirror to you so that you can see if what you're doing is having the intended effect. And if it's not, you can change what you're doing. So before we get started, I want to be really clear that I'm not a body language expert. I'm a communications expert, and I specialize in nonverbal communication. And today we're going to talk about why you also need to specialize in nonverbal communication, because that's really the second thing that comes up is when people hear that I I work in nonverbal communication, they first think I'm a body language expert. And then second, 
I say, oh, you teach people how to communicate non-verbally. And I say, no, you do communicate non-verbally right now with or without my help. I teach people how to communicate on purpose, meaning you communicate non-verbally. You can't not communicate non-verbally. Everything you do sends a message non-verbally or even don't do sends a message non-verbally. The, the problem is, is that you don't have any idea of the messages you're sending. And that's where all of this tends to go <laughs> downhill. I mean, let's think about this in terms of permission. If you didn't hear the podcast, I think it was two podcasts ago on permission and why that's what you need with jurors, not trust. I really suggest you go back and listen to that one before continuing with this one. But here's the, the Cliff Notes version. Basically, Permission is how receptive people are to you or your message. And when we're talking about permission, we are not talking about verbal permission, meaning asking someone, do I have your permission to do A, B, C, and them saying yes or no or whatever, A, B. Permission, true permission, is unspoken. It is something that you must learn how to read and increase, and the only way you can do that is non-verbally. I mean, yes, you can. Don't get me wrong. You can ask someone for permission, verbally ask them, but they're going to give you an answer and then you may or may not have permission based on that verbal answer. I mean, this is what makes voir dire so scary, right? I mean, you think that you ask questions in voir dire and you get the answers from the jurors and you pick a fairly decent jury only to have them bring a defense verdict and then realize you had it all wrong. And why is that? Well, most of the time you ask a question and the jurors just tell you what you want to hear so that you'll leave them the fuck alone. That's why voir dire is so scary is because they don't want to talk to you. So they'll just tell you whatever, get you off their back. And then we end up picking a jury based on all the wrong factors and the whole thing goes to hell in a handbasket. So Today, we're going to talk about how nonverbal communication and tuning into that can fix this and why you must master it. Otherwise, you can't ever be a high-performing trial attorney. And what I mean by high-performing is many things, and I will define this more clearly, especially once we launch our brand new coaching program and our new online program, both of which are coming in the next six months. But one before the other. Uh, but just say right now, a high performing trial attorney in terms of what we're talking about is a highly skilled trial attorney. They don't just have one way of doing things. They have a variety of tools in their tool belt and can bring out what's appropriate when. And nonverbal intelligence has to be one of those tools. In fact, it's maybe not even a tool. It is like the main, one of the main things that you've got to have down. So you've got to increase your nonverbal intelligence to be a top-notch communicator. Now, what do I mean by nonverbal intelligence? Well, we define nonverbal intelligence here in my office as three things. You have to be aware both of what you're communicating nonverbally and what other people are communicating nonverbally, and even top level, what groups are communicating nonverbally, because that's different than individuals. And then you have to adapt based on what you are aware of, meaning you have to do or communicate the right way nonverbally, depending on what you're observing, all while remaining authentic. So three pieces, aware, adaptable, and authentic. And last podcast, we talked about authenticity. So I highly recommend you go back and listen to that one. 
Now, I'll go into all of those in depth in future podcasts, but today we want to talk about why nonverbal. I mean, what is the big deal about nonverbal communication? Because I think some of you have this, this idea in your head that nonverbal communication and being good at it, I mean, it's kind of like a gimmick, right? You're thinking, yeah, it'd be nice to learn some nonverbal things so that I can use some tricks and tips in my trial, but, you know, I don't know that I really need that or, you know, that'd be a, kind of a nice thing to have, but it's not a have to. Dudes... And dudettes, I am telling you, and not just because I work in this, it's actually the other way around. It was when I found this work, I thought, oh my God, everybody needs this. It is not a nice thing to have. It is not, it would be kind of cool if I knew that. This is a must have. Let me talk to you about why. First of all, the majority of our communication is nonverbal. The majority. Now, the Mahrabian research that probably all of you have heard, Albert Mahrabian, I think it's Albert. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, you know, where he came up with the whole 93% of your communication is nonverbal really is miscommunicated and misconstrued. Meaning it's not that all of your communication is nonverbal and words hardly make a difference. So it doesn't matter what you say. We do know research shows that if there is a mismatch between the nonverbal communication and the verbal communication, that the listener will go with the nonverbal message every single time. And I'll talk a little bit about that in depth in a minute. So the the point is, is that if it's not 93%, we know that the majority of what we communicate is transmitted non-verbally, which means if you want to be a good communicator, and if you're a trial attorney, you better be a kick-ass communicator. The majority of your communication work, focus, learning needs to be in the nonverbal arena. And yet how many of you have ever gotten training in nonverbal communication outside of a one or two hour CLE? By the way, that doesn't fucking cut it. And I'm not saying this again so that you come and work with me, although I do hope you come and work with me because I think it's that important, not so that I get your money. But this isn't something you can just listen to on a podcast or attend a two-hour CLE and have it all shored up. We have been communicating non-verbally since birth. And our style, quote unquote, has been imprinted on us, meaning most of us, first of all, have no idea how we're communicating non-verbally. And then even if we do, it's very difficult to change. So this takes some work. It takes some focus. It takes some mastery, which is what we're talking about today. So it's, first of all, the majority of your communication, and that's why uh, you need to focus on it there. Second, it's observable. I mean, if we go back to the idea of permission, and permission is unspoken, it is not something that people give you verbally, how on earth are you going to observe, read, or work with permission unless you know what to look for? And those things are going to be nonverbal. You're going to have to watch people and know what to watch for to see, first of all, how much permission you have. And second of all, the things you can do to increase it, which again are nonverbal. I mean, that, that brings us to the third thing, which is you have more options. There, You can change what you say, but when you look at the nonverbal components, there are millions of different things you can do. I mean, you can change how your voice tone sounds. You can tap into your breathing. You can change your how you gesture. You can work with your eye contact. You can talk about how you're um, standing or sitting. You can talk about where you are in the space. You can talk about how you're... Uh, communicating with individuals versus groups. I mean, there's so many options available to you of things to play with where with verbal communication, it's, well, I'm just going to change the words. Yeah, there's different words you can play with, sure. 
but you don't have as much things to play with and as much impact when you start playing around with them as you do in the nonverbal communication realm. So here's (laughs) what's just amazing to me is that so many of us, because we're unaware of what we're communicating, we are constantly, and we're unaware of what other people are communicating. We're wired to watch people's nonverbal communication. Yes, we have, that's in our DNA since birth. But we have no idea what those things mean. And so we make up stories all the time. So it's just amazing to me that communication even happens at all. Because so many of us are just reading and sending (laughs) the wrong messages. And this is why so many communication mishaps happen in the first place. You know, I'm trained in music. I have two advanced degrees in music. And it wasn't until I got into this field and people were like, how weird is that? What a weird change for you. And I thought, you know, it is until it hit me that the two universal messages in the world are music and nonverbal communication, meaning you don't need training to understand, well, maybe not understand, but to enjoy, for example, and listen to music and sing along. And you don't need to be trained as a musician to do that. And the same can be said for nonverbal communication. I mean, we've been wired since birth. We know when our spouse is upset, they don't have to say a word and we know, right? But if you want to perform music, you have to have training. And the same goes for nonverbal communication. If you want to be purposeful, you have to absolutely know what the hell you're doing. And being purposeful, particularly in court, that's huge. That's a big thing of what you're trying to do. Now, if nonverbal communication sends the majority of the message and it's observable and it gives you more options, you definitely want to focus there. Here's an example. So my own story, I just mentioned that I have two advanced degrees in music. So it's always a wonder of how I got to where I am today. And I can tell you right now that the reason I am where I am today is because of my strength in how I communicate non-verbally. When I first started in the nonverbal work, and I went there because my, my, my um, grad school uh, piano teacher, I mean, my mentor, she said, you need to go to this nonverbal communication training. And I thought, why? Ugh. And she said, well, it'll make you a better communicator. And she really firmly believed that teachers have to be great communicators. And so I went expecting all the body language stuff. And instead, I found the things that I train in today. And once I decided to make this pivot out of music and into this communication realm, I really set out at becoming excellent nonverbally. I videotaped every single thing that I did in terms of presentations. And I watched them back. And I learned my nonverbal patterns down pat. We'll talk about this in a future podcast when we're talking about awareness. But that's the first step. I had to learn what the hell I was doing and be very intimately aware of, of that before I could change anything. And then I started playing around with my communication and trying new things. And then I'd watch the video back again. I go, that's oh, not exactly right. I'm not pausing enough there. I want my gesture to be bigger. And I absolutely fine-tuned, it was my own project, my communication. And now I am one of the... I think I'm going to own it. Best keynote speakers out there. I constantly get accolades for my speaking. Now, I say that because that took tons of practice and tons of fine tuning. 
And I also say that because I think this is how what got me into the legal world. Meaning when I first started with lawyers, I didn't know half of your language. I didn't know what depositions were or summary judgment or motions and limine. I didn't know any of your language. But what I did know is that I could help you communicate better. Now, my knowledge inside my head of I know a lot about presentations and nonverbals and how to speak and how to teach people how to speak. None of that would matter if I couldn't communicate it myself, meaning if I couldn't walk around as an excellent communicator and speak eloquently and with good nonverbal communication, it wouldn't have made a difference how much I knew. I had to show all y'all that I knew what the hell I was talking about. And I mean nonverbally, not about the legal stuff. I could learn that along the way, and I have and did. I had to show you. And that's the same with jurors. You can tell them all day long that they should trust you, but they're not going to believe in what you say. They're going to watch what you do. I mean, how, how many of you have stood in front of the jury? Maybe you don't know that you do this, but I'll, I'll tell you. I've seen so many attorneys stand in front of the, of the jury and say, I want to hear from you as their eyes dart around the jury box communicating, I don't really want to hear from you. I want to kind of see what's going on in the box. Or you'll say, this is very serious, this case that we're here to talk about today. And then on breaks, you'll be joking around with opposing counsel or your co-counsel. And the jurors are like, what the hell? I thought you said this was serious. Now it's a big joke. Or you'll say, this case is really simple. And then you'll use lots of jargon and thousands of PowerPoints communicating non-verbally. No, it's actually a really complex case. When your communication, nonverbal communication, mismatches with your verbal, remember what the research says, the listener will go with the nonverbal message every single time. This is why you have to master nonverbal communication. Because it doesn't matter how great your you think <laughs> your message is. That's only one part or your content is. That's only one part of the message. Message is comprised of three parts. There's the content, that's the what you say. There's the delivery, that's how you say it, the nonverbal piece. And there's the reception. How are people receiving it? That's also nonverbal. Both of those last pieces are nonverbal. So over 66% of a message, in my world at least, is nonverbal. The content's only a small part. And yet, take a look at your bookshelf. Look at your bookshelf right now. I'd tell you that 90% of your books are all focused on what to say in court. There's probably very few books on your bookshelf that are all about how to communicate. And I would be very surprised if there's anything there of how to read how your message is landing. Think about this in terms of mismatch again. So I'm thinking about the authoritative and the approachable nonverbal sets that I teach. So I teach authoritative, let's just think voice pattern right now. So the authoritative voice curls down at the ends of statements. And the approachable voice tends to curl up at the ends of statements. It'll be a little more rhythmic too versus the flat. How many of you will stand in front of the jury and say this? You do understand that it is not always appropriate for the police to use force, right? And the jurors just nod and that's all. You're using the wrong nonverbal communication. You're saying, I, I, I'm asking you a question, but you're not communicating. The question's pretty bad anyway, but your voice pattern says, don't answer me. Or conversely, let's say you use the approachable when you're giving your rule and opening statement. There is a rule in medicine that says a doctor, right? And listen to my voice. It's curling up. You're saying this is a rule and it's important, but your nonverbal communication doesn't match. Your nonverbal communication says maybe or kind of, 
I'm telling you guys, this is important. When I look at From Hostage to Hero, the four steps to move jurors from hostage to hero, my upcoming book, the first one is create safety or introduce safety. Uh, the second one is invite engagement. The third step is to um, inspire commitment. And the fourth step is to incite action. All right. None of those things are done verbally. Yes, there is a verbal component. And in the book, I talk about what to say. But most of those things are done verbally. How do you introduce safety? Non-verbally. There are things you are doing with your eyes and your gestures and your stance and your breathing that communicate, I am safe and this is a safe space. Just telling someone they're safe is not going to do it. How do you engage people? Non-verbally. There's ways of gesturing and voice tone and eye contact. Again, that's going to engage them and want to talk with you. How do you inspire commitment? Non-verbally. You got to own the shit out of the courtroom and act like you're the leader. How do you incite action? You've got to non-verbally communicate your power to the jury and, and transfer that power so they take it back in the verdict room. All of those things are done non-verbally. What you say is such a small, small part of this game we call trial. And so I hope I've convinced you of the importance of nonverbal communication in court and in life. And it is my sincere pleasure to take you on this journey because I believe in this so strongly, not as a gimmick, not as a nice to have, but as a must master skill. So stick with me and we'll walk you through that process. All right, everybody, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for stopping by. That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com, for other must-have resources from Sorry Delamart. Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sari's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today. And until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.